Well, Mr. Nathan Shudd has been before the Lord, inviting God for a word, so let's welcome him. Word protected. Um, anybody else distracted by Dennis's biceps? Is that just me? I mean, I, my biceps would look like that, but I wear big shirts, so that's the difference. It's, it's seriously, man, Dennis, making me feel bad about my life. The pastor's not supposed to make people feel like that. Just stop working out. Sorry, I was, I'm off topic, but it's just, it's central. Uh, I'm sure your grandsons feel bad. Did you see your grandpa? You see how tough he is? <laughs> Sorry, man. I know you love it. Uh, happy July 5th, guys. Um, we, uh, we've been in the thick of Romans 12, and I want to I wanna just kind of ground us there once again. Um, and don't be intimidated by what's about to come onto the screen here, but we're going to read a good chunk of it. We're we're down to verse 11 now, and I want to read it out of the message. Uh, I just always like the way Eugene Peterson reinterprets some of this. Um, and I promise it's coming here as soon as it works. Is it there? I could talk more about Dennis's biceps. No. <laughs> I think Brenda is delaying just so I'll talk more about the biceps. Um, okay. So again, we're, gonna, we're just going to read a, a good bit of this. Uh, again, this is out of the message. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. That's awesome. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, no, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. In this way, we are like the various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. I'm going to skip ahead a couple verses here. Verse 9, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. The 
the word of the Lord. Um, and, and what we're going to talk out of today, what I'm going to speak out of is that, that last verse there. And if you go to the next slide, we've got it kind of uh, focused there. One more time. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled in a flame. Be, be alert servants of the master. In the NIV it says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. The Greek word here is called ziantes, and it means literally to boil, to stay hot. This idea, you can imagine just that, you know, when uh, I think of it these days with my boys, I cook a lot of macaroni and cheese, right? And you got to just let it, you, you don't want it to overflow or else everything is going to get ruined, uh, but you just got to keep that steady boil, right? I make a mean macaroni and cheese. It might be why my biceps are not as big as Dennis's. I was going to see how many times I can weave it. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, poor Dennis. Um, yeah, but this idea of, of boiling, of staying fueled and aflame. Um, you know, there's nothing, I think, uh, that we could do that's more important than just cultivate that constant fueling, that flame, that boiling inside of us to keep our spiritual fervor. Um, I think often of, I had a father in the faith um, long ago in Kansas City who he raised his own family in the red light district in Amsterdam. Uh, you know, and it was a, in the 80s in a, in a pretty intense period of time. And he talked about how people would come to him and say, you know, this, uh, I just cannot imagine raising my family here. It's so intense, the, the warfare that you face. And he would say, to be honest, I think it's a lot easier here than it is in America or in the West. He said, I feel for you because here the warfare is really obvious, right? But in, in America, it's this chemical warfare. It's this unseen realm that just kind of lulls you into sleep, right? And we have such a plethora of, of dangers that just kind of bring us into a laziness or uh, a, a lack of spiritual fervor, right? I was thinking about this and, and thinking about this pandemic and the way that so much of it is so difficult to navigate because of the unseen nature of it. And even the way that, uh, you know, symptoms can not show up for days or weeks on end. And it makes it just more fuzzy than it already is, right? And similar with, like, you know, we've been having this conversation about racism as a nation. And, of course, there's, like, this obvious level of racism, but then there's this internal, unseen level of racism. And, and how do we actually battle against an unseen enemy, right? Um, the thing is that things are not always as they appear. And yet it's so important for us to all the more wake ourselves up to be aware that there is actually stuff going on, that we have to sometimes get ourselves back, stir our souls back awake, to put ourselves back on the fire, right? Dennis talked last week, uh, he mentioned this verse out of Matthew 24, verse 12. It says, there will be such an increase of sin and lawlessness that those whose hearts once burn with passion for God and others will grow cold. And, and as we think about this, as the way that things aren't always as, as they appear, you know, when I think about staying aflame, staying fueled in a flame, I think of how that has changed over my lifetime in my relationship with God. And I have different seasons now. I'm still, I, I think I'm a, I don't know if I'm middle-aged yet. I don't get how that works. Can I still be young? Should I make a bicep joke? No? Okay. The, uh, the thing, though, is it, it changes over time, and yet, 
so often we can use uh, maturing in Christ as a cop-out for staying fueled in a flame. Hear me here. There is, a, there is a season when you first come into relationship with Christ where you oftentimes, the flame inside of you burns like a bonfire. It's like, you know, if you've ever been around one of those, those like real deal Alaskan pallet bonfires, you know, my brother-in-law is famous for building these fires. And it's just like you could see it from miles away, right? And sometimes that's how it can look in your youth, right? And then as time goes by, your relationship with God changes a little bit, or the way that it's expressed changes. Uh, and maybe it's not going to look like a pallet bonfire. And, and what I want to say this morning is that that's not necessarily bad, right? And yet it's important to understand the nature of what it means to not burn out, but to stay fueled throughout. So when we first, uh, a couple years ago, when we moved back to Alaska, I was uh, at my house with my sons, and we had, a, we had one of these kind of pallet-style fires going, right? I had actually been clearing out the attic and my blessed mother kept a lot of papers uh, from when I was a, a wee child. And, uh, and they were treasures. They really were, Mom. And then I burned them. <laughs> no, but yes. I, uh, so there were, a, there were a lot of papers, right? And I kind of went through and had this great kind of going through, like, my childhood. But then I went, you know, it's time for some of these to die their slow death. So I put this stack of papers in the fire, you know, and it's... It's just, you know how it is when you burn papers that sometimes they, uh, you know, it'll start burning and it, it can go up high, but then uh, it'll come down, but that, it's still like a thick stack of papers, if you know what I'm talking about, uh, and it's not quite consumed yet. So the fire, we'd added a bunch of stuff to it, and I'm out there with my boys, and the fire is huge, and we're sledding actually next to it, it's in the winter, and it's just a great mood. And then the fire begins to die down, and I'd been kind of stoking it and playing with it, but it begins to die down. And, and one of my sons, who was about three at the time, I think, he kind of walks over to the fire, and he goes, Dad, look, it's, uh, the, fire's, the fire's all done. And he starts walking. I don't know what he was going to do, walk into the fire or something. Uh, and I said, no, 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 son, it's, it's actually hotter than it's ever been. It's actually hotter than it's ever been. And as I said it, like, I got goosebumps, and I could, it was like the wind blew, and the Holy Spirit went, I want to talk to you. And, uh, and I just thought about how in, in my youth, it was so obvious in myself and in others when someone had a bonfire burning and when they didn't. And I looked at a lot of people that were older than me, and I went, man, where is their bonfire? Right? And yet the thing is, when a, when a bonfire burns down, you actually have coals that are hotter than they've ever been, where you can actually do something with those coals. You can actually cook something, right? Uh, and, and what Holy Spirit began whispering to me was about the difference of these seasons of life and how actually there's a place, right, for that bonfire. There's also a place for those coals. And I don't want to discount one or the other, and I don't want to categorize one or the other saying, you're only going to have bonfires in your youth and you're only going to have coals in your age. But I think there's something to be understood about the nature of the way that what it looks like to be fueled in a flame uh, changes over time. And I don't, one of the things that, I, that concerns me more than anything in my life is to hide behind the idea of maturity and use that as a cop-out for the absence of a bonfire in my life, right? I'm going, Holy Spirit, whatever it looks like, whether it's coals that you want to refine and, and cook something on, or whether it's a bonfire or a wildfire that's spreading like crazy, 
bring it. Like, I just, I just want to be fueled in a flame. I want to keep boiling, whatever that looks like, all right? So the question then becomes, well, how do we do it? How do we stay fueled in a flame? How do we keep boiling? And I, when I started meditating on this verse, I just quickly got five ideas, five simple things to stay fueled in a flame. Uh, and that's what I want to take the rest of the time to just kind of walk through. These are uh, not the most profound things, but it's what I've got, and I want to just offer them to you. Uh, you take them as you will. So here's the first one. First one is don't live off someone else's story. Don't live off someone else's story. Let me show you a picture here of, of what uh, most church buildings look like, right? And I'm not talking about the decor. I'm just talking about the arrangement where you have one person standing up in the front of the room and a whole crew of people watching that one person, right? And, and, and we're, we're doing it on kind of a mini level from this picture right now where I've got the microphone and I'm talking to all of you who are sitting there. And there's nothing inherently wrong with this, and yet there's a danger, right, to becoming overly reliant in this kind of attendance, kind of non-participatory culture that we, that we do, that we create in church, where we expect a Dennis or a Carla or whoever's got the mic at the time to kind of feed us and to fuel our spiritual fervor, right? And this is a travesty. And this is, some, this is one of the ways that we can be lulled to sleep. This is one of the ways we can think that we're fueled in a flame when actually maybe it's Dennis up here who's fueled in a flame, right? And maybe we show up and we think we're doing our part when actually this is just not the case. And actually there's a new level of it now. It looks something like this where you may even be at home and it's like I'm fueled in a flame, right? Until... Like you change, well, you don't really change the channel on Facebook. Like we're Facebook Live, right? Whatever the case, right? You could be sitting at home right now, going, "Ah, oh, fueled in a flame." I don't know. Maybe I want to watch something else. All right. Uh, but this is this is just the danger of this arrangement. All right. We don't want to become lazy. We don't want to become used to just sitting in a seat and criticizing whoever's up here talking. Your responsibility is yours to mature in Christ. It's not Dennis's. It's not Tanner's, right? It's no one's up here who stands on a stage or who has the moment to kind of feed us, right? It is our responsibility to mature in Christ, right? Everything I say this morning has about this much power compared to you being alone with God and feeding on his word and his presence and in praying, in actually investing in memories with Jesus, all right? Don't just come and consume, all right? I like saying that as a non-staff member, too. I'm just going to put that out there. All right, number two. You ready? Live off someone else's story. Follow me here, all right? As much as it is your responsibility, there is also nothing that can replace the way that the draft that you step into when you follow someone else, all right? Look at 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. This is, in becoming a dad, you know, this hits home so much more. As I watch my boys grow and I begin to go, oh my gosh, the example I set actually has an impact on these tiny humans, right? And what becomes normal for them what it looks like for them to actually meet God through their dad, 
And I want to be able to go, son, imitate me, follow me, do what I do, right? Which sometimes is, is really great and sometimes is not so great. So I want to more and more be formed into the likeness of Christ so that my sons can imitate me, right? I, I think of it even with my wife, you know, it just, it, it so matters who you attach yourself to, who you surround yourself with. I remember falling in love with this girl and going that one of the main reasons I want to be married to her, want to be joined to her is because I know she will always move me in Christ. I know that she will not stop. I know that she will not settle. And man, 18 years later, it is so true. She continues to press. And when I get lulled to sleep, she lights that fire under me, right? In, in a really kind and loving way, right? Love you, babe. I, I think of it back, uh, you know, the shift from middle school to high school for me was really significant. It was uh, my freshman year where my dad died, and it was a really key turnaround point for my life. And I had three friends in middle school that I essentially, you know, walked away from just because we were going very different directions as I began to go, man, I, I want to actually walk into Jesus. I don't want just my father's example to be it. I want that faith to be mine. And I found three other friends that we fueled each other. We discipled each other, right? And being surrounded by those friendships was so important in my formation, right, as a young believer. It's the same, all bicep jokes aside, I have come to Dennis over and over over the years and gone, Dennis, teach me how you stay fueled in a flame. And this is where I'm living off someone else's story in a, in a really healthy way. I'm not going, Dennis, just feed me everything, right? But I'm going, I know that you do a phenomenal job. And, and honestly, as good a job, I'll just say it this clearly, Dennis does as good a job as anyone I've met in my days on the earth on staying fueled in a flame. And I think it's such a gift to this body that we have someone who continues to invest himself in Christ over and over again. And, and, I, and I go, man, when I see someone hunger like that, I know I have something to learn, right? And it's not just a pastor, it's other friendships. If you feel lulled to sleep, time to start looking around at who you're hanging out with, right? Who, who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are you attaching yourself with? And are they dragging you down or are they lifting you up? This is basic stuff, but it is game-changing. This is how you stay fueled and afresh. Fueled and afresh? Fueled and aflame. And afresh. All right. All right, point number three. I was, I was saying this ahead of time. Get to know Jesus afresh. Um, I, I've, I've spoken a little bit uh, in church this past year about this idea of deconstruction, which is a, a really popular term, especially among my generation. And it's this process where... A lot of people are going through this sort of crisis of faith and beginning to tear down kind of some of the main things that they've believed, uh, in, especially if they grew up in the church. And the thing about deconstruction that so grates against me, well, first off, I'll say, I think it can be phenomenal. It can be a great process, right? Because it's really important to know why we believe what we believe. It's really important not to just fake some empty tradition, but to actually dive into the core tenets of our faith, Right? And to love God with our mind. And yet, as I hear some of these confessions from people as they walk away from the faith, I go, where is the mention of Jesus in the midst of this? I hear so many people going, yeah, the tradition of this and the religion of this and this system. And I'm going, 
yeah, 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 I, I agree with all of that. But, but did, you, did you know Jesus? And I fear so often that so much, there's so much Christian culture in what we do that sometimes it's easy to actually genuinely lose sight of Jesus. And, and it's so important for us, and this goes for every single one of us, to come back to the core of our faith, which is Jesus Christ, right? To look him in the eyes again and go, man, do I actually know you? To reinvent that relationship again. I can't tell you how many times I have gone back to Jesus in the Gospels with, with this cry of, Jesus, I can feel my boredom. Would you help me see you again? Because I know you are anything but predictable and boring, right? It was, and, and there's so many, I'll, I'll go through these seasons. I'm constantly on the lookout for books about Jesus, right? Not books about Christianity, books about Jesus. The Jesus I Never Knew by Philip Yancey. I uh, read it probably 20 years ago, and it was one of the most formational reads of my life because it took me back to that core essence of the gospel, which is Jesus, all right? Reinvent your relationship with Jesus. I've said this before, but I, I've committed to constantly be in the gospels in some form or fashion. You know, whether it's the red letters and just reading through all the Gospels, just the red letters, or it's camping out on the Sermon on the Mount, right? Or it's reading a Gospel, you know, a chapter at a time or a section at a time, meditating on John 14 to 17. Some of these passages that you really get a good glimpse of Jesus. Go back and get to know him afresh. 1 Corinthians 2.22, Paul said, I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he is. Then Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. If you want to be fueled and aflame, get to know Jesus afresh. All right? All right? Okay. All right. All right, number four. You want to eat for health and not for taste. I'm biting my tongue. Um, there's a story that, uh, that Bill Johnson shared in years ago that always stuck with me, and he was talking about the Word of God and how to sustain a hunger for the Word of God. And he told this story about a guy who had, something had happened, I, I don't have the scientific language for this, but something had happened where he had lost the ability to use his taste buds. Uh, and they were talking about how important it is for this man to continue to eat, even when his taste buds weren't working. And the enjoyment of what it meant to eat was not necessarily there all the time, right? And yet, it was crucial that he didn't just lean into the power of his taste buds, but that he went, oh my gosh, I'm going to shrivel up and die if I don't eat. There is a choice there, even when the taste buds aren't present. And, and listen, in your, in your walk with God, hopefully the taste buds are always there. I'll just say, there's times where my taste buds aren't there when I wake up in the morning and I go, yeah, I'm not really feeling this. All right, there's not a lot of feeling here. There's not a lot of taste. But I am going to open up those scriptures, and I'm going to put myself, I'm going to posture myself once again to just say, Holy Spirit, fuel me, keep me aflame, right? And sometimes, dare I say this, sometimes I still at the end of that time don't feel anything, right? Sometimes the taste buds still don't reappear. Sometimes it's a week on end. Sometimes it's months. It's seasons, but I'm going to stay there on the fire. I'm going to say, keep me boiling, all right? I think of, specifically with this wording, 
you know, this eat for health and not for taste, I think of the way that my own diet has changed or is changing or should change. As I, especially, I'm, I'm seeing this, you know, I'm on the verge of 40 now, and I can see, all, I know, right? <laughs> uh, no comment. And, uh, and, I, and I think of, like, the things I've got away with in my life, the things I've got away with eating in my life. Uh, you know, my body has been really gracious with me. And yet, my wife reminds me, it, it is not, there's, there's, there's effects now where there once were not effects, okay? And, and it's so important that I actually discipline myself with what I eat because my taste buds are going to continue to go, do you remember that this tastes better than that, right? And when I eat and how I go about that, it's the same principle spiritually, right? I read this passage from, uh, in a book recently where it was actually a book by a songwriter and he was talking about how he wants his kids to have a good taste in music. Uh, But he was comparing it to food. I want to read this real quick. He said, I want my children to have a bit of healthy snobbery about the art they consume, much like the development of their taste buds. The goal is to get them to recognize that some foods are good for you and some are bad. And not just to make the right choices, but to realize that your body actually wants you to make the right choice. Your spirit, church, wants you to make the right choice. You feel terrible after McDonald's. You feel great after sushi. For your body's, is sushi? I don't, I don't always feel great after sushi. Anyway, for your body's sake, you might have to learn to like sushi, all right? So for your spirit's sake, you know, it might feel really good to just zone out and watch something on TV, but maybe that's not the best thing for your spirit, right? Maybe it has its place, right? Don't be consumed by this ultra-religious thing, but know what your spirit man wants and feed on it. Feed for that nourishment not for those taste buds, all right? And, and the bottom line with this idea is just that it, it, it just literally takes self-discipline. It just does. You know, everything that we are Paul, is grace. Paul, Paul's wording with it was, uh, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And yet, his grace toward me was not in vain. He didn't stop there, right? By the grace of God, I am what I am. But his grace toward me was not in vain. I labored harder than everybody. So he's going, yeah, this grace defines me, and everything is free. I have complete liberty in Christ, and yet I have a responsibility to self-discipline, right, to get before God and to get to know him for myself, all right? All right, and lastly, number five, don't just avoid the bad. Run wholeheartedly to a better story. I couldn't find a way to make this one shorter and catchier, so I just went with the long sentence. Um, I, think of, I think of, again, back to my youth, and uh, I think the easiest topic to kind of just talk about here would be this idea of lust, all right? And I think of how many uh, settings as a teenager or, or like men's settings, for example, uh, where we would talk about this issue of lust. And I remember being at this men's gathering uh, with a group of college-age students. And here we were again talking about lust. And we were going, you know, there's this, here's the line, and I'm, I'm in my head going, you, you can go just as far as that line, and then you got to, you know, be careful there, and you turn back. And I remember this shift happening in the room 
where we began to go, what if, what if we actually didn't focus on just not crossing that line? What if there's a completely alternative narrative here that is way better of a story? And what if we run so wholeheartedly after Christ that actually this stuff begins to not, not just look good or not just taste good to our taste buds, but actually we begin to realize, oh, this is really like destroying us. And it has, it actually doesn't taste good. The more that I feast on this, the more that that actually looks like shriveled up garbage, right? And being consumed with this bigger, more wonderful story, which is the gospel, which is the kingdom of God in the earth in our day. The more we consume ourselves, the more we lift our eyes with this coming king and this Jesus that is uncomparable to anything we can taste on the earth in our flesh, the more those lesser pleasures are just going to disappear. The more we consume ourselves with that narrative, the more we're going to stay alive, fueled, and aflame. I think of of Hebrews 11 and this story of the heroes of the faith. You know, it's one of those passages in Scripture that I go back to just to remember, you know, some of that, like, I don't want to just, or I want to live off some other people's story. Sometimes I'll go back and just feed off those stories of the heroes of faith. But if you, if you go right into the next chapter, Hebrews chapter 12, it goes into this short passage. The writer says, do you see what all this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. And I want you to especially key in on this, church. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again. Item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Yeah. Get consumed with that better story, with that meta-narrative, right, of the beginning of creation, of, the, of the, the momentum that is headed toward this day and this throne, this, this throne-centered trajectory, right, this throne-centered story that we're all a part of. Consume yourselves with it. So my question, you know, it's, it's easy uh, in, in messages like this just to go like, yeah, that was some good stuff. I just want to toss up a list here of some practical steps you can take. And what I find sometimes, especially uh, in summer months, uh, is just to, re- to look again at a list like this and to go, well, what are some of the things I could do? Could I get up earlier? Could I, like I talked about, could you, could you uh, kind of camp out in the Gospels, something specific to Jesus? Could you take one night a week and just reserve it to being with Jesus. That's something I've explored with over and over again. Get around someone who's burning, right? Find someone who's going to stir you on. Get after some kind of fast. I remember this is one of the key things that Dennis shared with me when I would ask him over the years. Start into some sort of food fast, some sort of technology, something that is taking the place of your burning. 
journal the voice of God or simply make space to sit still, breathe, and just see what happens when you give a chance, all right? I want you, uh, just as a response right now, I want you just to think. I'm just going gonna, gonna to turn it over to Dennis here in a second, but I want you just to think of this list or maybe there's something else. This is just kind of a random smattering, but think of something that you can do right now to be more fueled, right, to boil, to actually get on the altar and posture yourselves for that transforming grace of God. All right. Yeah, just take a moment with the Lord. Don't pass this moment by. Make a decision with the Lord. Lord, I'm going to do this with you. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me? I'm going to give you one other thought. It's so good. But I don't I don't know how how much you know, people we're all created differently, so you each have to find what it is that helps you helps you get back in that place with the Lord where you sense his presence and you just like and one of the things for me that's always helped me is to find those choruses or those songs that you can go back to again and again. You know when you were first born again and all of us have a different story but when you're first born again, there are certain songs that really grabbed you, or even in your life, there are certain songs like grabbed your heart, and you like you just leaned into into it. And there's something about Psalm 51. I find myself singing this all the time. You guys remember this old chorus we used to sing: "Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me." Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Let's sing that one more time. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Yeah, God. When you go back to Psalm 51, the, re- the fruit of that happening 
in David's life was, he said, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Wow, the harvest is at hand. Holy Spirit, thank you, Lord, for your desire to keep, to keep a fire burning in our belly of love for you. Return us to our first love, O oh God. Restore our first love, O oh God. Renew our first love, God. Let the fire burn in our bellies, God. We just come into agreement that Nathan's word will take root in us, even this week, as we think through how we live our lives, that, Jesus, you would be our first love. Amen. Amen, amen. Wow, that's such a good word, Nathan, except for the bicep stuff. Hey, make sure you love on one another, okay? And have a, a great day. Be blessed. Make sure you're, everybody's encouraged before you leave.